it's very interesting when you think about this this text of scripture and you come to the feeding of the 5000 there are really two i think very important clues that are set in the text before us number 1 when uh, and you come to Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 4 Matthew 13 but when you come to Mark chapter 4 Jesus begins to tell and to teach in parables and the interesting thing is at the end of that chapter uh, Mark tells us that Jesus did this as his normal teaching style I think sometimes when we come to Matthew and whatever, we see a little section of parables, and we think, yeah, that's the parable section, and you go on. What Mark tells us is Jesus taught persistently in parables, and he didn't speak without a parable. That means the parable was his teaching style, not just uh, something he did on the side. It was really the essence of what he did. And so what I'd like to suggest to you is there are some parables which are spoken and they're delivered like parables. And I think there are living parables. And that is parables that are acted out. And Jesus doesn't say to them, well, this is really a parable. You ought to get this. He leaves leaves that to us to figure it out. Now, if I were to ask you for one word, that summed up the essence of what a parable is, what would that word be? Like. Like. The kingdom of God is like. Now, that's really important because I think sometimes we are people who like everything in sort of direct, uh, this equals this, this is this. And we especially feel that way about prophecy from the Old Testament. We want it to be nice and neat. Jesus said this is going to, or the prophet said this is going to happen, and it happened just like this. And there's a lot of those about our Lord's birth. But sometimes it's just similar. Let me give you an example. Abraham was called upon by God to to, uh, sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham reasoned. Romans chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham reasoned that God was able to bring life out of death. You know how he did that? Because he and Sarah were as good as dead when it came to having kids. And yet God said, you're going to have a child. You too are going to have a child. And they did. And so Abraham said to himself, wait a minute now. I've been here before. God is saying that I need to produce death, but that child that I'm supposed to sacrifice is the child for blessing. The only way that can happen is God must raise him from the dead. It's an analogy, do you see? This is here, this is over here, this is like that. It's not that, it's like that. That's what a parable is. This is like that. Now, that's going to be a challenge for us when we come to this, because I want you to think to yourself, what is this like? What is the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000? What is that like? And why would Jesus do that? Second thing you need to know as you approach this text is the word bread or loaves, same word, is found 18 times in Mark 6 through 8. 
Now, just to give you a little context, Matthew has it 20 times. Mark uh, has it 20 times. And, and uh, Luke. And you have these uh, of 18 of 20 times in the Gospel of Mark are these chapters right here. 18 out of 20 times. So I think we have to say bread is a really important word to keep in mind. It's the clue. It's the key to what's going on. And we'll, we'll see that as it plays out. Okay, so here we are. Jesus has sent the disciples out two by two. And he said to them, now, don't take any provisions with you. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Don't take any extras. Don't take any extra bread, any food with you. And the reason is the servant's worthy of his hire. If you're going about from house to house preaching the gospel and healing the sick and casting out demons, that ought to be a bed and breakfast house, don't you think? They're going to take care of you. But Jesus is teaching them to trust in him. By the way, remember in Luke chapter 5 when he's just about to call his disciples for full-time service? What's the event that he gives to give them assurance that he's going to care for them? that boatload of fish. What he's saying is, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Trust me, I can take care of this. John chapter 21. Just before the disciples are going to go out, Jesus is going to ascend. Another fishing expedition. What happens? A great catch of fish. What's God saying? I'll take care of you. I got this. That's what's going on, I think, here. So here we have the disciples. They've been out preaching. They've come back, and they're eager to talk to Jesus about it. By the way, John the Baptist has just been put to death. And, and, and they want to be with him, and it says they were so busy taking care of the crowds that were pressing on Jesus to, to do miracles, they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat. And if you notice, when they go out and Jesus says, let's go out and, 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 and have some time alone. When the time comes and they have to say, well, how many fish, what, what do we have for lunch? Five loaves and two fish. They didn't bring any. Do you notice that? Jesus calls his disciples out into the wilderness and there is no food. No McDonald's, no nothing. How are they going to eat? And so I would suggest to you, by the end of the day, of that day when they go over and they're in that wilderness place and there is no food, I think the disciples' stomachs are growling. And I think they're saying to Jesus, look, get rid of this crowd. We're hungry. We're tired. Let's just get them home, and then we'll eat. And Jesus says, no, 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 you feed them. Well, you know the story. So Jesus feeds the masses and they take up 12 baskets full of leftovers. In John, we know that the, uh, the crowds wanted to make Jesus king. How come? Give us this bread forevermore. Oh, yeah, this is the kind of king we want. This is the, this is the real thing. Let's take him. And I think Jesus had to literally uh, force his disciples to get in that boat and leave because I think the disciples were with the crowd. They had already figured out who was going to sit in one place or the other. They were into this thing. Jesus sends them off in the boat. He goes up on the mountain to pray. And he comes back, and he sees them out on the sea with the winds and the waves giving them troubles, and they're not making much progress. And uh, so he walks out on the sea. 
And the, the interesting hook in this text, and there are two right here in this uh, chapter 6. One is the disciples were amazed at what Jesus did in, in stilling the storm and, and, and whatever when he got into the boat. I don't think the emphasis is on their fear. It's on their amazement. What in the world's going on here? Remember, Jesus had already stilled the storm once when they were in the boat. But it's like this is some new and amazing, unexpected thing that's going on. The second thing that's interesting about this text is it says, Jesus intended to pass them by. I, I, I tried to find every text I could, every translation I could that said something different. It doesn't. And I say to myself, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's Jesus doing walking by these guys? Well, I think it had been a long day. It had been a long time for Jesus, and, and probably he'd been putting up with the disciples too. I think the best thing for him personally would have been to say, I just need to go home, go to bed, get a rest, pass them by. But I think as he looked out, he couldn't avoid their need. And so he goes by them. He ends up getting in the boat, and you know, the storm stops. John tells us immediately they end up at their destination. Not bad. But the thing that's interesting about this is the text tells us they didn't get it because they didn't understand about the loaves. What in the world do the loaves have to do with Jesus stilling a storm in a boat? Well, that's the question, and it's never really directly answered because we have to figure it out. So let's talk about a parable. What is this like? A crowd of people in the wilderness, no food, they're fed. Oh, and Jesus crosses the sea. Ever hear of anything like that before? It's called the Exodus. The Exodus. Don't you ever get that deja vu feeling and you're saying, haven't I been here before? Isn't there something familiar about this? Oh, you say, well, wait, Jesus walked on the wall. Okay, what's the difference? The, the Israelites walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, it says. They needed to get from point A to point B, and Moses just took them through. Jesus needs to get from point A to point B, and he says, nah, no sense crossing the, going through the sea. I'll just go over the sea. If they had said to themselves, wait a minute, what we just saw, what we just witnessed was like the Exodus. And if that's true, why are we surprised that Jesus would walk on the water? For goodness sakes, he could have parted the water. It's no surprise at all. If you see the similarity and you say, he's the one who isn't just Moses, he is greater than Moses. We ought to see the connection. Now, here's the way I look at this. I'm going to jump chapter 7 for one minute, and I'm going straight to chapter 8, feeding of the 4,000. I think our Lord is so gracious, he says to himself, these poor guys, they are so dull. They don't get what's going on. I'm going to give them an instant replay. I'll do it again. 
We did it once. I'll do it again. Surely they'll get it this time. Now, on the first instance, it was just one day of stomach growling. They went there during the day. It started to get late at night, and the disciples said, good night, get rid of these people. In the feeding of the 4,000, how many days was it? Three. Three days. Let me tell you, folks, the stomachs are really growling now. By the way, in John's gospel, when it came to the feeding of the 5,000, he describes it as though when the crowds are, are rushing up to Jesus, remember they went around by land, got there before Jesus did. Jesus is landing on his boat, and the crowds are now working his way up. Jesus says to the disciples, how are we going to feed this crowd? He let them think about that all day long, and they didn't have an answer other than send them out. Now they've got three days to think about it while their stomachs growl. Hey, time's pressing on, and there isn't any food. There's no McDonald's. What are we going to do? The amazing thing is the disciples face this like they've never been here before. Like this is some new and novel problem. Nobody says, well, hey, Jesus, you know, remember just, just a little while ago? It's the same time frame. A little while ago, we had the same thing, and, and we just took bread and broke it and whatever, and there it was. Nobody gets it. So Jesus has them get the, the, the loaves and the fish. And by the way, in both instances, it says the crowds ate and were satisfied. All right, folks, we've just been through Thanksgiving. We know what that means. Somebody says, would you like a third helping of potatoes? Huh, I couldn't eat another bite. That's satisfied. Jesus didn't say to the crowds, now, we're a little short on food today. Would you go easy? No seconds. There are seven baskets full of leftovers. Now, you may say to yourself, well, that's not quite as many as the first. Actually, that's not true. Because the text makes it clear, these seven baskets were large baskets. We don't know about the first ones, but they weren't called large. In fact, it's the same word for the basket that's used to lower Paul down the wall. It's big enough for a man to get into. These are seven honking big baskets of leftovers. So, time, same time frame. Disciples are now getting into the boat. <laughs> and Jesus says, uh, guys, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, these guys are really bright. They're really quick thinkers. They're making the connection. Leaven, leaven. Bread, Leaven, bread. One of the guys says, oh, my gosh, guys. We only have one loaf in the boat. Just one loaf. What are we going to do for lunch? Twelve guys in a boat. After 5,000 men and 4,000 men have been fed. They only got one loaf. What are we going to eat? Jesus says, you guys don't get it yet, do you? You don't make the connection. You don't get the point. They're thinking about themselves, and they're thinking not 
about the things that have just happened that were lessons, parables, if you would, to them. Now we go back to chapter 7. My favorite person in the whole text is the woman. I really don't know where she came from exactly. She could have been at one of those feedings, 5,000 or 4,000. She could have at least have heard about it. But what's interesting is the text tells us Jesus was really trying to go incognito, probably about like he was when he was walking across the Sea of Galilee. Rather go incognito. But she knew where he was. And she starts to harass him because she has a daughter who's demon-possessed. The disciples, again, are not full of compassion. They're irritated by this lady, and so they say to Jesus, would you get rid of this gal? How long are we going to put up with this stuff? So Jesus says to her, in a very theological correct way, well, you know, actually, I came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Oh, I didn't tell you who she was. She's not just a Gentile woman. Mark tells us she is a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew tells us she's a Canaanite. Now, does that ring any bells? Any bells from the Old Testament? Canaanites, the ones that you killed, you slaughtered them all, your cattle, everything. If there was anybody on the outs with God, she's it. She's pressing Jesus to do something, and Jesus says to her, well, actually, Gentiles aren't first on the list. Jews are. But he uses an analogy, which we may take to be offensive. She did not. He said, well, it wouldn't be right to take the food that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. Oh, gee, thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, that's flattery if I ever heard it. What does she do with that? She says to him, hey, I get it. But I also know you're the one who created 12 baskets full of leftovers, seven big baskets of leftovers. I got to tell you, you can feed those kids at the table. I'll take the crumbs. Give me the leftovers. That's what she's saying. You are a God of abundant supply. And so it's so abundant. I'm not asking for the stuff on the top of the table. I'll take the stuff under the table. Because of that, Jesus answers her request. She got it. Isn't that amazing? So far as we know, she's not there every time Jesus is doing the teaching. Disciples are getting all the messages from Jesus. She gets it. They don't. Because she understands the lesson of the leftovers. She understands that God's provision is so abundant that he's not running in a deficit mode. There's always something left over, and she's saying, Jesus, all I'm doing is asking for some of that. Jesus answers her request. Well, it seems to me that we could say this. In these days of inflation, 
uh, shortages of supply and whatever. We're looking at our checking account. We could be like the disciples in the boat saying we only got one loaf. If we forget what Jesus has just done in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. I think the lesson is this. Our Lord Jesus is the one greater than Moses. If God could provide for hundreds of thousands of people daily with bread and water for 40 years, I think I can handle you guys in the boat. If God could make a path through the Red Sea and lead all those people through it, then I think Jesus can easily walk across it if he chooses to do so. So how convinced are we of the adequacy and the sufficiency and the abundance of our Lord's provision for us? My guess is some of us are worrying. And what we're thinking about is ourselves and our one loaf, and we're forgetting about the one whom we serve. So one of the questions I like to ask is, are you in the boat? Are you in the boat? The Lord's provision is for those guys who are in the boat. You can't be standing off on the shore, doing whatever those other people are doing. You get in the boat, folks, by trusting Jesus. Then the abundance is there. I've been thinking to myself, when I preach, I say to myself, um, how is it that somebody's going to take this message and turn it into something I didn't intend? And it occurred to me, if I were a prosperity preacher, I'd be on this like a duck on a June bug, right? I would be saying, yes, yes, this is my text. God has such great abundance. All we have to do is just tap into it. Just get in there and, and, and God is going to just bless us and make us so rich and prosperous. By the way, they always have this at the end of their message on the abundance of God's provision. You have to give to get. You have to give to get. Send that check in. There's always an envelope. There's always something. It's going to be a way for you to give in order to get. That's like the crowds. The crowds were willing to make Jesus their king give because of what they get, free meals for life, give to get. Jesus talked about that in the Gospel of Luke. He said, when you have a banquet, when you have a dinner, don't have a dinner with all the rich folks because you know when you give, you get. He says, when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the needy. See, God's way is we get in order to give, not we give in order to get. Paul has that, he says it very well in Ephesians chapter 4. He describes the change of the mindset of one who has been a thief. He says in 428, let him who stole steal no more. Let him labor with his own hands so that he'll have something to give to those in need. Remember God said in the, in the garden after the fall, 
to Adam, you're going to live, you're going to sustain yourself by the sweat of your brow. And that's really what's happened ever since, isn't it? But the thief says to himself, I think what I'll do is live by the sweat of his brow. I'll take what's his, and then I don't have to sweat. And Paul says, when you come to Christ, he turns your thinking upside down. Now, you don't take from others so you get. You work hard so that you can give to others. I think that's what Jesus is about. When he walks by the disciples in that boat, at that moment, thinking he's going to pass them by, he was filled with compassion, just like he was when he saw the crowds that were hungry for teaching as well as food. And he ministered those needs. He took what God gave him to give to others. That's the way the Christian faith works. And by the way, I was thinking not only of Jesus and why he got into the boat with the disciples, I was thinking about that Canaanite woman again. Who does she ask Jesus to help? Her daughter. Her daughter. See, <laughs> here are the crowds. Oh, they want Jesus to help them. I think this woman got a whole lot more than we're willing to give her credit for. She wanted to get in order to give. By the way, the second Gentile that is highly praised in the New Testament Gospels is whom? Centurion, Matthew chapter 8. God says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Who does he ask for? Who does he ask for? He asks for his servant. Isn't that interesting? These two people whose request our Lord meets, who receive something from him, are receiving it so that someone else gets it. I would suggest to you that in the days when the prosperity gospel is really popular, they've got it absolutely upside down. You don't give to get. You get to give. And that means, I think, when you ask the Lord for his provision in order that you may give, I believe he'll hear you. I think about that in terms of thanksgiving, the abundance God's given to us. Usually Christmas, and it's the end of the year, folks. How many letters have you received wanting support <laughs> this month? Bunches. I think there are all kinds of opportunities. There are all kinds of needs. The question is, what's our mindset? How do we look at the abundance that God has for his people? I think we ought to believe it is abundant. It is abundant. Those baskets are full and overflowing. But what he loves is out of his abundance to place that in our hands so we give. 
I think I'd like you to think about that for a bit. By the way, I've got a page full of questions. My view of preaching is you send them away with more questions than answers. Probably done that. And so if you want to think about some of those questions, I got to tell you, I think this text is worthy of a lot of thought. And I think you'll keep coming back to it as you should. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the abundance of your provision. Thank you for the way in which hopefully the disciples finally figured out one greater than Moses is in the boat. And therefore, it's no surprise when he feeds 5,000 men, 4,000 men, or walks on the sea. Thank you for that Canaanite woman who really understood that your abundance was the basis for her appeal to have some of the crumbs. Help us to have that mindset as well, we ask in Jesus' name.